where you're seated this morning. We've got to celebrate. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive, and his hope is rising. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Hey, it is good to celebrate. Uh, Jesus has risen from the grave. We're going to study that today from the good news. Um, he is the victor over sin and death, and that's why his hope is rising. Um, I believe his hope is rising not only because his word is proclaimed, but it's rising in you, the church. Uh, Christ lives in you, uh, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and in that, his glory is rising in the church when we live for him on purpose. We're excited that you're here with us on uh, Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. We're gonna celebrate that today. Easter in July, uh, and that does seem a little strange. Uh, at eight o'clock, I will tell you, it did feel like July 5th, okay? I don't know if you understand what that means. It just, you know, we celebrated our freedom as a nation, and I'm so thankful for that. But guys, our freedom in Christ is exponentially more valuable than even our freedom as a nation. And, and it's such a, a, a great thing to, to celebrate that today. I'm glad you're here with us, whether you are uh, joining us online, we're live at 930, or you're uh, listening on the radio, or you may be right here on site. It is such a, a great uh, thing to be able to come. It's the perfect time to celebrate the resurrection. I believe um, any day can, is a day we can do this, but, but in the culture we live in right now, with hope uh, kind of fading in the world with, with these dark times, it is, the, it is the perfect day to celebrate that our foundation is based as Christians on the fact that Jesus died for us and lives. But there was no celebration that first Easter morning. There, there just wasn't any celebration at first. The fact, those who are closest to Jesus felt hopeless. I believe if you read between the lines, they felt overwhelmed. They had removed themselves from the rest of society, had isolated themselves because I, I think they were afraid of death. They were afraid that the same death that Jesus suffered, maybe they would uh, bring upon them his own disciples, so they'd remove themselves from the world. Jesus, their greatest hope, had been wrongfully mocked, convicted, and crucified. The one they believed that was going to save them had his own heart pierced by the spear of a Roman soldier, and, and the Bible says that the blood and water poured out. He was dead. His heart had burst, and they had lost hope. So as they woke up that Sunday morning, there was nothing to celebrate. In fact, Luke records in his gospel that even as they heard the first reports of the resurrection, they came, started hearing reports. The Bible says uh, that the disciples felt like it was nonsense. Jesus is alive? Well, that's nonsense. We know he's dead. We're without hope. You may be here today in what the world has showing you, what's around our culture, what may be even uh, uh, happening with your own faith. You may think that everything uh, seems like nonsense. You may even uh, be, have begun to doubt because death has crept in. Maybe it's because of COVID. Maybe it's because of cancer. You may have had a death of a relationship and you feel like, God, this is all a bunch of nonsense. What, what, what are you doing? That's why today it's the perfect day to look again to the foundation of our faith and the fact that Jesus died and came back to life, the victor over sin and death. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 28. We're going to go to the, the good news here, and we're going to see just the facts. Uh, as we're distracted by the world, often as we were like, oh, this is nonsense. I don't know if I can make it through this. We need to be grounded again on the fact that Jesus died and came back to life. Matthew 28, starting with verse 1. After the Sabbath... At dawn on the first day of the week. So this was the Sabbath was Saturday. So this is Sunday early in the morning. 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were like white as snow. They were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. The angel here says, I know what you're here for. You're wanting to pay respect. You're wanting to serve Jesus. And I know he was crucified. Do you know what happens to people who are crucified under Roman, uh, the Roman government, the Roman culture? Uh, crucifixion is, is, the, is an act, but here's what happens to someone when they're crucified, they die. It just, the, the, the Romans had perfected crucifixion and it's one purpose was to kill someone with as much agony, as much torture as possible. And they were masters of it. And this angel says, I know who you're looking for. He was crucified. Look what it says in verse six. Here's where it gets good. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then quickly go and tell the disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. An angel, uh, based on the mere definition, uh, as they appear before humans, is primarily that of a messenger. And this angel says, you've received my message. Now I'm going back into heaven. That's what I kind of hear him saying between the lines. He says, you have heard what I was supposed to tell you. Now I'm going back into heaven to celebrate because Jesus is alive. But what did they believe? They, I believe they began to be excited. I believe hope began to rise in him. They had heard the angel says he has risen, just as he said. They, they probably began to talk among themselves. He did say that the, the temple must be torn down and rebuilt. You know, he talked about him being a sacrifice. Is this all really true? And I believe hope was rising in these ladies. Notice what he said to these ladies. He says, go and tell the disciples. Go and tell those guys who, who seem like everything's hopeless, who will seem like this is nonsense at first. Go and tell them to get their act together because Jesus has done what he said he was going to do. And in that, hope can rise. Here's the first thing I want to remind you, just a principle you can uh, stake your life on this morning. If the gospel is true, and I believe it's true, then hope is rising for all people from the living God. Here's what Paul tells Timothy. For our hope is in the living God. Have you noticed a lot of other guys that you've studied maybe in history or, or maybe just in your own readings or uh, maybe testimony from a friend? The other gods that often people adore and even worship or trust in, they're dead. But our God in the form of Jesus Christ, who is fully human and fully God, is most certainly alive. And our hope is, is rising in him. And notice what the scripture says. He is the savior of all people. Scriptures uh, emphasize this over and over again. Uh, the, Jesus himself says, for God so loved the world, all the world, not just specific people, but he loved all people. Look what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2. For God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We studied about this last week. Jesus himself said that know, to know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus another time says, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This, this passage here is sandwiched between these two statements, all people and all people. So that means all people. If you're listening online today or on the radio or you're right here, God came in the form of Jesus to save you. He did. He, he came to save all people. He loved you enough to say, I would like to give my son as a ransom for you. Jesus became a substitute for you. Somebody had to step in your place because you couldn't handle your sin. I couldn't handle my sin on my own. So God gave us Jesus and Jesus submitted his purpose to God's will and he died for us. The price he paid was perfect so we could have hope. Don't miss this. Jesus paid the perfect price. He paid the ultimate price. It's for all people because hope is rising because Jesus paid the price. He paid with his life. Have you noticed very early on in life, you will begin to be aware of prices or costs of things? If you're probably over the age of, say, 10 or 12, especially when you get to 13. When you get to 16, you still really begin to be aware of prices of things, whether it's cars. I've got two boys that are very aware of cost of transportation now. But I've got four boys that are very aware of the cost of something even more important than transportation. Four teenage boys that are really aware of the cost of food. Food is the highest value commodity at the Graeber house right now. They've even got daily in on the game. I, I was here listening to daily eating some chicken nuggets and she had like uh, probably six left and the boys had consumed theirs. There was none left to, to put in the air fryer. Air fryers are my best friend now, by the way. But uh, daily was like, hey, I will pay you. The, I'll give you this one if you pay me a dollar. And they're considering, you know, buying chicken nuggets from daily. I'm like, no, daily, you have to eat those. But Deacon recently, um, my second son, recently paid the price of being aware of the cost of food. They, we will go to a restaurant now and, and the boys will actually uh, buy, or they're not buying, they will order uh, the uh, meal that they think is the most value of food that will fill their belly. Not based on how it tastes necessarily, but this is going to be filling. They're very much into this. Hey, what, what can I get that has the, the most bang for the buck? It's kind of strange, but, but they do that. Um, we went to this new restaurant, though, for Father's Day. We'd never been there before. Great setting. It was outside. Can you imagine that? We sat outside, and I mean, it's cool. It was a great day. We were uh, kind of by a lake, and, and we all ordered meals because none of us had been there before. We all ordered different things. Deacon ordered off the adult me menu. He hasn't ordered off the kids' menu for like 10 years, okay, and he's like 15, but, but he ordered off the adult menu, and uh, to his surprise, he ordered some fried fish platter. And this platter came with French fries, chips. That's what they call them when it's with fish, right? And, and then three small pieces of fried fish the size of a McNugget, three of them. <laughs> and as soon as they put it down in front of him, he mumbled under his breath, I'm never ordering this again. Literally, a minute later, he comes back. And he says with great confidence, I'm definitely not ordering that meal again. And Tiffany turned to him and says, why? Is it not any good? He goes, no, it was great, but it's gone. A minute after he, he sat down to eat, it was gone. And his plate was empty. And I kind of felt bad for him for a little bit. So I did what any father of five would do on Father's Day. I offered him daily's food. <laughs> you just, go, just eat this, deacon. But, but we're very aware of the price of things. And Deacon ended that conversation by saying, and he did get more food, don't feel bad for Deacon, but he, he said, 
I'm never ordering that. The price was too high for what I received. You know the price that Jesus paid for your life? He didn't pay it with any finances. He didn't pay it with, with any estate. He paid with his life. And not once did he consider that the price was too high for what he received in return. Because uh, whenever he gave his life for you, what he received is the ability to be in relationship with you forever. And that's how much God values you, that he would die for you. He died for all people so that all might be saved. And that's the ransom he gave his life. Jesus paid the price. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. His own body was paid so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, uh, some translations say by his stripes, by his bruises, in his own body, we have been healed. The most perfect, most costly Price was paid so that you might have relationship. So the Bible says, so you might be right with God. That's how much God values. Don't miss this. If you're listening, you've never known what Christianity is all about. Christianity is all about Jesus dying so that you might be in a right relationship with God. And that's how much God values you. That's how much he loves you. I love the freedom we have in our country. We need to protect, amen. But the freedom of Christ came at such a great price. God's own son died so we could live. His, his, he paid our way. Have you noticed though a lot of times as, as Americans especially where we know the, the price of freedom, so many great soldiers, so many great leaders died so we could have freedom. And we like to think, oh, it's the American way. I wanna be a part of that. I wanna pay my own way. How many of you kind of were raised that way? It's the way I was raised. I, you know, somebody offers something, you're like, well, what do I need to do to pay for this? My first full-time ministry was in Washington, Indiana at New Hope Christian Church. And I was a, a youth minister. I was working with really birth through college age. But uh, a lot of our time was focused on uh, this uh, junior and senior high students. And one of the things I did each month was I put something in the newsletter. This was before texting was around. Uh, we didn't have a, 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 a website at the church yet. But we had the monthly newsletter. And I'd put a contest in there every month a question or something they had to complete. And the first student that would do that would receive a meal. You know, we'd go out to eat together. Well, in this month, this gentleman, uh, this young man, uh, he was uh, probably a junior at the time. He won uh, quickly. He quickly claimed the prize. I said, hey, let's go for out for pizza. He says, can I bring some of my friends? I said, absolutely. It's the perfect scenario. A, 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 a student minister, uh, students are actually saying, hey, can I bring friends to come and hang out? Uh, let's, let's do it. So I said, let's meet at church on this given day and we'll go uh, to the restaurant in the church van together. So the time came for us to load up the van. This kid brought 10 of his friends with him, okay? 10 teenage boys. On the way to the restaurant, I'm realizing I've got 50 bucks in my pocket. It's not enough. Even back in 2000, that wasn't enough to feed um, 12 of us a meal. And so I was like, man, no problem. I've got, I've got our credit card. Tiff and I were not using our credit card much at this point, you know, we're in the ministry. We just started life together. And we had a really, uh, a guideline back then. And I tell this to premarital uh, counseling people about ready to get married. I said, you need to talk about big expenditures before you, you, you spend it as a couple. 
in our first year of marriage, we did not spend more than $25 without the other knowing. So guys, this was, this was a big deal. I'm just gonna spend like $125 on this meal and, and, and I haven't told Tiffany, all these things are running through my mind, but we have this great meal together and, uh, and we're kind of wrapping things up and I take uh, the, the ticket up to uh, the counter and our waitress is there and, and I said, hey, I'd like to pay for our, our, our meal. She said, you're gonna pay for all of them? I said, yes. She says, oh, you can't do that. I've got to go get the owner. I thought for a second, does she realize I don't have enough cash or, you know, what's going on? So the owner comes back and I says, hey, I'd like to pay for the meal. He says, you can't do that. I says, yes, I can. I've got a credit card right here. He says, no, you can't do that. It's been paid in full. I was like, I'm puzzled by that. I said, what do you mean? He said, when, when you guys came in, one of my friends was leaving. He said, hey, what's that group of kids doing in there? And he kind of, we must have caught his eye for whatever reason. And this owner of this restaurant, his friend told him that I would like to pick up the tab for that entire party, put it on my tab. It's going to be paid for. I did one of the silliest things that I've ever done in student ministry at that next moment. I'm like, hey, what am I supposed to do? You know, I've been trained to pay for it. I said, I'd really like to pay for my own meal. That's silly. <laughs> he says, no, it's been paid in full. I want you to know, if you're like me, you, became, you become frustrated time. Hey, what should I do? What, what can I do to make sure that, that my way is secure? I want you to know, uh, even though you've sinned and, and you've done enough already, Jesus has paid your way for salvation in full. So quit trying to pay for it on your own. Receive it. Realize that, that he has paid the price and we need to celebrate that. It has been paid in full. Today we're going to rejoice and remember as we celebrate that. I'm going to ask Ben to come and join us again. We're going to sing that classic hymn, Jesus Paid It All. And, and as, as we sing this, I would also want you to, to prepare for communion. If you've received your communion emblems and you're a believer, um, go ahead and secure those and, and pull that front plastic uh, portion off to make it a way to get to the emblem of, of the bread. And as we sing this song, let these words sink in and, and quit trying to be that young man like I am, that young woman, but become mature in your faith and realize that Jesus has paid it all. And as we remember that, we definitely can rejoice in that. Amen? We can celebrate together in song and in spirit and in prayer and reflection that our price has been paid. Would you sing with us? Jesus paid it all. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white. Paid it all, all 
Let's take the bread together that represents the body that was broken to pay the price. And the cup that represents his shed blood that was poured out for many, all that would believe, not that our sins would just be washed over, but they would be made whiter than snow. Father, we thank you for Jesus. In fact, that he paid it all and he lives. In his name we pray, amen. So we can have confidence that his hope is rising because he paid it all. And we can trust in that, that his hope is rising even with our heads. Now, now maybe think about this for a second. What, here, what I want you to know, we can intellectually know, we can know by the facts that Jesus died and came back to life. All throughout scripture, uh, it, it makes this case that Jesus was going to be sacrificed for our sins, that he would pay a price and then, and then be made new, that he would come back to life. And for so long that it seemed like nonsense to the world. The resurrection, the crucifixion seems like foolishness to the world. But to the believer, we can know this in our heads that it's true. It makes sense intellectually. But there's this debate. I want, I want you to see the debate. Paul even acknowledges this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he is kind of uh, going through this conversation that, okay, if the resurrection is not true, where does that leave us? And I'm going to tell, tell you where it leaves us today. Look what this text says. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. This is a guy who preached every day to whoever listened. He goes, and if Christ hasn't been raised, it is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we have been found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God and has raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. He says we've got to not only believe that Christ was raised, but everything falls apart if we don't believe that we too have been raised with Christ to a new life. He says if, if the foundation of the, the resurrection is not true, everything crumbles. You guys ever heard of the game Jenga? Ever played Jenga? This is kind of like the yard version. This is the youth ministry set. Um, they played Jenga this past Wednesday. Uh, 
we're meeting again for our student ministries on Wednesday night. So check that out. Matt can uh, tell you more about that. But this is something I've seen the kids do. It's a fun game. You know, it's one of these things where if you pull out certain things, well, that one's not a one. There we go. That one's going to come out. You know, you, you're, the idea is to pull one out and then place it on top. And you want to be the last person that pulls one out and as you place it on top and it not fall. But if you're the person that at the point gets down to the foundation, you pull it out and it crumbles, you lose. What Paul is saying, if we, as we pull these out, if the, if the, if the fundamental truth of Christ raising from the dead is not true and it, it crumbles, then everything we're doing as a Christian is a, is a fake, it's a phony, it's useless. And there would be a lot of people that would argue that it's all nonsense. And as, as you try to pull one out, it kind of gets stuck and, and nothing good comes from it. I mean, everything crumbles. Your safety. The world wants us to think that, that it will not stand. But Paul goes on to testify that our foundation in Christ isn't going to crumble because it is based on the resurrection and it's true. And mentally, we can know that. Look back to the text. He's just entering into the argument, but he's going to win. He gets a lot of fa uh, factual support. Look at verse 3 of chapter 15. He says, for what I've received, I passed on to you of first importance. He goes, this is what's the real deal. Here's, here's what's most important, that Christ died for our sins, according to scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to scripture, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of them who are still living. As he wrote, the, as he wrote this, most of the people that saw Jesus were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. James is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother. If anybody knew who Jesus was, he wasn't going to be fooled by uh, James wasn't going to be fooled by it. He would know it was Jesus. Then to all the apostles, and at last, he says, he appeared also to me as to one abnormally born. What he means is, Jesus even appeared to me uh, later on. After he went into heaven, he came back and he appeared to me. And I'm an apostle as well. I, I know that, that he, it is real that he's alive. What an amazing testimony of the facts of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now you can appear to one or two people and they can pretend like they're dreaming. They could, they could have a, a vision and somebody would dismiss it. But Jesus appeared to 500 or more at the same time. And they all testified that, that Jesus is, is, has, has risen. The facts time and time again support Jesus being crucified and risen. This coming Easter, now the world's not focused on Easter today as we are, the resurrection, because it's not Easter based on the calendar. But this coming Easter, there will be a whole group of people trying to refute or debunk the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And have they ever been able to do it? Absolutely not. The facts, the testimony of people, church history, the history of the world, all point to the fact that Jesus was a real man and died on the cross and is risen. If you want to get more uh, supporting material, if you're the intellectual person that still says this doesn't make sense, I would encourage you to not only read the Bible, but uh, the book called Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He gives a great account based on data and facts that Jesus has definitely re uh, has risen from the grave. You do not have to be intellectually asleep to be a Christian. 
There are some people that think, well, if you're a Christian, you're just a romantic, you're, you're doing stuff based on mystical beliefs. But here's what the Bible and the history points us to, the fact that Jesus very much died and came back to life. You can believe it in your head and it makes sense, but we also must trust it that hope is rising in our hearts. Here's the truth about your heart, about your soul. Paul says this, you are dead because of your sins. Here's the truth. It's, 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 it's fact based on God's word, but it's also a very emotional thing. If you are without Christ right now, you are dead. I don't care if you're in Greenville or you're in, in Greenland. I, I don't care where you're at right now in your heart. If you're without Christ, your sins have made you dead. And because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. What he's saying there is, our basic nature is to please ourselves. So it leads us to do things that go against God's will. And if we've done that once, and the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we're bound to hell. But then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. Here's the emotional side of it. Without Christ, you're dead. You have no hope. There were some people that were hearing Peter preach for the first time since Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts chapter two. Peter's like, okay, you killed uh, the Christ you crucified is now risen. And they're like, how did we kill Christ? And they were like, you, you were the people that, that chanted crucify him, crucify him. And they began to be very sad. They began to be very emotional. You may say, well, I didn't have any part of his crucifixion. If you have ever sinned once, and I know you have, the Bible tells me, you were part of his crucifixion yourself. When the people heard this in their minds and their hearts, here's what they said in Acts chapter two. They were cut to the heart. And Peter said to, they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins took him to the cross and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off. For, for all whom the Lord, your, our God, will call. Remember, Jesus died for all people and forgiveness is for all who God will call, who, who will ever receive him as their savior. It says, it's for you, your children, and all those who are far off. You know who was far off? Based on this first sermon in Acts chapter two, it's us. They weren't thinking of Greenville uh, 2020, were they? It is us who are far off. And he says, it's for you. And our hope is rising when we trust him with our hearts when we trust him that, that even when it doesn't make sense that our foundation is firm and is strong because struggles and chaos come. Last week, uh, I think it was last week we talked about uh, one of the da most dangerous times for church culture is when we just kind of fade away, when, when our foundation kind of slips away from us. And, and here's what the word of God is saying. Struggles are gonna happen, but when our foundation is in Christ, no matter what happens in us, no matter what, what seems to fall apart, our foundation is secure. Here's another Jenga set right here. Here's the reality. If our foundation is in Christ, it is strong, but the world, Satan is gonna to continue to try to steal things from our life. He's gonna to try to pull things apart. He's gonna to try to, to make your world feel like it's falling apart. He's gonna to try to remove it from you as far as he can. And, and sometimes he's gonna be successful and we've gotta keep grounded on the foundation of Christ. He's going to come to you again in moments like uh, 2020, and he's going to pull things out of your life. He's going, to, he's going to try to get you to think your relationships are failing and you're worthless. Things like COVID and cancer are going to scare you into even to think death can come at any moment, and it can. 
So here's the question. Are you going to crumble or are you going to stay focused on the foundation? Because he's going to try to pull all those things out of your life and make you miserable. And if our foundation is not based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will crumble. But when our foundation is found in Christ, we can stand firm because it is a perfect foundation. It, it, it makes it possible that no matter what happens, I'm glad that worked. That no matter what happens, no matter what comes, I mean, you could beat at this, you could, you could try to pry it apart, but based on the bond that it is, which is called liquid nails, okay, the wood's going to crumble probably for the bond. In much the same way and even more, our foundation in Christ is secure because it's based on the truth that God loved you enough that he gave his son so that no matter what happened, no matter what sin in your life, it would not be overcome by his love and his commitment and the price he paid for you. And in that, we can rejoice, we can celebrate. You can know in your heads, you can believe in your heart. But when our, when our faith is grounded in the resurrection, we can have hope. Hope is rising in one other way when we live out God's purpose for our lives. Go back to Ephesians chapter two, look what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved. You didn't earn it. It's through faith, it's not from yourselves, it's a gift from God, not by works that anyone can boast. For we are God's handiwork. My boys built this set and they glued it together for me. They did a good job. This is their handiwork. When God looks at you, he sees a handiwork that's so precious. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Everything about your life is on purpose that God did for you. Now we make mistakes and God allows us to do that. But what he says, no matter how you look, no matter what holes are missing, no matter what mistakes you've made, I have made you and I can use you for my purpose. My question is for you, if you're a believer, if, if your foundation is in Christ, are you allowing him to use you for his purpose, for his glory, so that hope would rise from you and the church? It's not by accident you're here today. It's not by accident that Jesus died for you, so now we to live for him. During the first summer that Daly came to be in our family, and immediately she was just a daughter, she was a sister to the boys, somehow by God's miraculous power, God just blessed us with this bond. I feel like Daly also was comforted and, and, and blessed with peace among us really quickly. But like the first uh, week, maybe the first 10 days that we had her in the United States and, and we're, we're all in, everything, we're, you know, we're, we're fully committed to, to make her fit in and to, and to incorporate her into our family. We took her to the doctor. And if you've ever taken a young child or baby to the doctor after they're born, they will lay the, the child on the table and they will take their legs and bring them up and bring them together and then bring them to their chest and then try to push down. And they're checking the hips at that point. And as they push down, if the hips are strong, it'll stay there kind of at the chest. But what they're looking for, as soon as they start to break them over, if they fall out, the hips are loose. And sure enough, both of Daly's hips, right and left, had hip dysplasia. Her hips were sloppy and loose and they would pop and they would, they would come out of joint. Even in the, as you'd pick her up and, and hold her just at her waist, you would feel that. The doctor says she needs to have a surgery and it's soon because as she begins to walk, if those hips are that sloppy, it will destroy your hips, the joint. We're like, wow, we didn't even know this. Uh, it just was, it was unexpected. We're like, okay. So we went to children's hospital, had the surgery and she came home with this cast on. Um, it's a full body cast from like her, her ankles to up around her breast, her chest. 
And even though she's smiling in that picture, the first couple of weeks she was at home with that body cast, even though she was trying to warm up to us, hey, I, I'm trusting you, I, you know, I feel care. She was like, what have you done to me? I'm sitting in this cast like this all day long. You know, she lays down in bed, she's like a frog sitting there. But quickly she figured out that she could move her little toes at the end of the cast and she would scoot along the living room floor and she would hop up on the edge of the wall or a piece of furniture and she'd kind of just be there looking around uh, a part of life and, and it became a part of who we are, were that summer. One day we were in the living room and Drake was building a master uh, like set of Legos. He was like our Lego master that summer and he had this really cool system or set built up and and about that time, Daly had uh, inched her way up uh, along the, the furniture beside him. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she kind of lost her balance and fell back and just demolished that set of Legos that Drake was working on. And we all quickly laughed because it made a big crash and she was scared for like a half a second. Then when she knew we were laughing and smiling, she began to laugh and smile. And it was a great memory. About 45 minutes later, Drake had built another set and Daly had inched up to a different place in the living room. And she got to the point, little sisters will do this. She got to the point where uh, she was just about stable and Drake was just about done. And she pushed herself off into the set again. And it crashed. And you know what? Everybody in the room except for Daly was absolutely silent. She started laughing. But to Drake and no one else in the room at this point, it's funny. And Drake turned to Tiffany and I and says, Mom and Dad, I don't think that was an accident. I think it was on purpose. I tell you this for this reason. When Christ was crucified and he was buried and, and put in the tomb, Satan thought he had won the war. He, he thought he had overcome the son of the living God. He thought that, that his plan had been complete. But then three days later, in the tomb that was borrowed for just that short time, Jesus came out and it was no accident. It was on purpose the entire time. God says from the beginning of creation that, that he had a plan. As soon as sin entered the world, he says, I'm gonna have an offspring that will crush you with his heel. Uh, from the beginning, God had a plan to have a relationship with us. Even when we screwed up things more than we could imagine, he says, I am going to make a way on purpose for you to be saved and it's gonna be through my son. Here's what it says in Isaiah 53. This is the Old Testament. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. He's talking about Jesus and cause him to suffer. And the Lord made his life a guilt offering. It was on purpose. Satan thought he had it. But as he realized as Jesus was, was dead in the tomb and he came back to life, Satan had this terrible moment where he realized this was all on purpose. And I have been defeated and Christ has won the victory over sin and death. And I want you to know that. And when we realize that, you know what it leads us to do? To live on purpose. I wonder if you're living your life on purpose. Have you claimed Christ's salvation, what he's done for you on the cross and in his resurrection, that your sin will be removed, that you can live with purpose and hope, and then and that hope will rise for his glory and to draw others to him? Have you claimed that? Today, we're gonna to sing one more song. It's a song of celebration about a, a glorious day that there'll be a day where, where we no longer even have the stress or these questions at all anymore. But there is just this glorious day that, that we know Christ did everything on purpose and he is the champion. Man, let that day be today for you moving forward.
Would you stand and prepare to sing with us? If you need to make a decision today, if you need to, to make a claim that my life is no longer gonna be held back by sin or shame, today you can accept Jesus as your savior and be made new in him. You say, may say, well, what should I do? Repent and be baptized and take one day at a time as a glorious day where Christ is your king. Father in heaven, we thank you for this chance to be confident about the hope that we have in your son. I thank you for each one here. If someone online or right here or on the radio would like to make a step forward, I pray that they uh, seek someone out that can help, walk, help them walk with Jesus. Lord, if someone is here today that needs to make a decision, I pray that they would give their life to you to repent and be baptized and live each day on purpose for your glory and your hope to rise. In Jesus' name, amen.